Our passage today is from Matthew chapter 21 and verses 28 to 32, the parable of the two sons. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Good morning. It's nice to be with you here at the Baptist. I don't know if uh, Ross has already told you this. I wonder if any of you know what happens when the, what is, what is meant by the fact uh, when a preacher takes his watch off and puts it at the side of the lectern. Does anyone know what that means? Absolutely nothing. That's right. It's just something I've always done. Um, there's normally a clock on either side. I don't know. Do you have a trapdoor here? Uh, you've got quite an elevated platform. So normally with an elevated platform, I normally expect there's a trapdoor right about underneath the, the preacher. And it's on a timer, normally 30 minutes. Um, some preachers could talk for much longer than that, and it feels much shorter. Some preachers talk for 10 minutes, but it feels much longer. So time is a funny thing. But it's great to be here, and I've been instructed to keep it under 30 minutes, so I will endeavor to do so. And I'm looking forward to, to um, giving the communion out. I was asked to do that. It's not normally something we would do at the Brethren, certainly not that I wouldn't do it. We have deacons that would do that. So it'd be nice to share communion with you this morning. But it's good to meet with you, good to sing with you, and it's good to read God's Word together. I confess this is the second time I've preached this sermon in the last seven days. There is value in preaching a sermon twice. I've been told it's better the second time round. Um, nobody was here last week at the Ebenezer Church, so nobody will be able to be the judge of that. But if we're in Matthew at Ebenezer, I thought, well, why not share a little bit of Matthew here? We've been in Matthew since I started one year and three months ago. Uh, when I started in November 2015, we started in Matthew 1, and we are slowly and surely making our way through Matthew in the evenings. And when I'm on on a Sunday, we are in Matthew, and we will be finished, at God willing, by Easter Sunday this year. So it's a nice time to finish but at the moment, we're in Matthew 21, 22. And the parable of the two sons is a, a parable which really the, the main message is what I said earlier to the kids. Actions speak louder than words. That's the message I hope the kids take away. In fact, the message I hope we all take away this morning. You'll know the phrases, put your money where your mouth is. Don't let your tongue write checks your body can't cash. My word is my bond. This is the kind of territory we're in this morning, folks. Your actions speak louder than your words. What I'd like to do after a brief introduction is just look at this under two headings, the first son and the second son. Nice and simple. Hopefully, 
nice and easy to understand. This parable is the only mentioned in Matthew. This is not mentioned in the other parables. There are similarities from this parable to the prodigal son in Luke 15, but they are not the same parable. Don't be confused. Although there are similarities, it's a different uh, story altogether. But there are similar messages in both parables. But the main message of this parable in front of us here, as we said, is that our actions speak louder than words. In verse 32, the importance is mentioned by the Lord of repenting and believing. And the two this morning, folks, are inseparable. Repentance and faith go together. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot have repentance without faith, and you cannot have faith without repentance. We have been studying, as I said, right through the gospel, and earlier on in the gospel, in chapter 7 in the Sermon of the Mount, the Lord says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And these strong words are under, underlying this parable of the two sons. If you have faith, you must also repent. But in order to repent, you must also have faith. And here's the challenge for us this morning, folks. I don't know what category you're in, whether you're the first son or the second son, but you're either one or the other. The Lord here is saying to us, today still, He was saying to the Jewish leaders then, but He still says to us today, from this little parable is, what He's saying is that the openly sinful are more likely to change and turn from sin to God than religious hypocrites. That's the message of this parable. And for us today, it means this. It's better to be an honest sinner than a dishonest Christian. It's better to be an honest sinner than a dishonest Christian. This is when the first of three parables of judgment, the, the theme of judgment is very prevalent over these two chapters. Just before, there's the, the challenge of the fig tree, and before that, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday at the beginning of chapter 21, and we see him here. This is probably Tuesday morning of Holy Week, verse 12. Jesus has come into the city. He enters the temple area. Then at night, verse 17, he goes back out to the area of Bethany where he spends the night, and then he comes back in in verse 18 to the city. So this is probably Tuesday morning of Easter week. And verse 23 tells us that he's in the temple courts teaching. The chief priests and the elders are there, but later on in verse 45, we also see that the Pharisees are there. And Jesus is addressing the crowd, but the Jewish leaders, all three groups are there the chief priests, the Pharisees, and the elders. We'll not go into the differences between them this morning, but they're all there listening to Jesus. And in our opening verse, verse 28, Jesus turns to them. He's addressing the people, but although he's addressing the people, he's also directing his comments to the Jewish leaders. He says in verse 28, what do you think? And they're all listening to him both the people, the ordinary folks, the, the plebs like you and I, and then the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the elders. And he gives them a parable. 
He says in verse 28, there are two sons. And folks, there is only, you can only be one son or the other. There is no in-between. In John's gospel, there's a similar um, confrontation between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. And Jesus says in chapter 8, he's talking to the Jewish leaders and he says in verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So there's no middle ground here, folks. We are either son number one or we are son number two. Still in verse 28, this um, image of the vineyard and God asking us to work in the vineyard is used three times in as many chapters. The, uh, if you look forward to verse 30, um, he calls, the, he says the same thing to the second son. He's already said to the first son, please come and work in my vineyard. Fast forward to verse 33. At the beginning of the parable of the tenants, he also uses the image of a landowner and a vineyard. And just before in chapter 20, at the beginning of the the, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, a similar parable to the parable of the tenants. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in the vineyard. So what is this image of God and his vineyard and his hiring of workers? Well, folks, this is the call of God to all of mankind throughout all of history. God created us to serve him. God created us to work for him in this vineyard which we know as earth. And he has created us for his purpose to call us, to send us, and to work for him. Folks, has God called you to work in his vineyard? And if so, have you responded to it? Because that call goes out to all humanity. Let's look at the first son. The first son can be defined by his actions. The first son, verse 31, is like the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Now, these guys, um, I, many, many years ago in a former life, I'll not go into the details, but many, many years ago, I was guilty of sins like the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the first son would be guilty of. All sins are the same before God, but in human terms, we kind of categorize sins. And I would humbly suggest that we categorize them into two categories. The first son, like the tax collectors and the prostitutes, is guilty of type one sins. Now, the type one sins are easy for us all to see. They're very obvious. They're unacceptable. They're outward. They're perhaps illegal. Think, for example, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. 
And you can add as many as you want onto that list, but that pretty much sums up your type one sins. The ones that see respectable society looking down on and tutting. This is number one son. The prostitutes, the tax collectors, the rebellious son, the prodigal son of which I was one. And these types of sins are looked down in society. These are the guys that can be rejected quite easily by the second son. No problem. They're, they're badder than us. They're worse than us. So these are the, the types of things that son number one gets stuck with. Verse 29, his father asks him uh, to, to work for him. He says, straight out, I will not. And do you know what? I actually admire this first son. He's fairly honest in his rejection of his father's will. He's plain speaking. He says what he sees. He calls a spade a spade. He says straight out, no, I'm not going to do this. So he does reject against his father's will. He rebels. Yes, he completely wants to go for the life of sin and live for himself. But do you know what, folks? He's honest about it. He says, no, I'm not going to do this. Last year when I was called to Ebenezer, my older son, Rory, who'd been coming to church with us for many years, um, decided to tell me the very weekend I was called to be pastor at Ebenezer, my older son, who stays with his mum in Prestwick, when we uh, were going to move up to Airdrie, uh, my wife and my, my two other kids, my older son, Rory, decides to pick that weekend to tell me, Dad, see all this church stuff? I don't want to do it. It's not for me. I don't believe it. Folks, please pray for Rory. Now, I was disappointed, but you know, I would far rather he was honest in his rejection of Christ than he kept coming to church dishonestly if he didn't truly believe it in his heart. And my hope and prayer is that he as the first son will one day turn around and say, I will go back to my father. But at least he was honest in his rejection. Look what happens with son number one. After he says, I will not, he says, here's a great two words, but later. How many of you know of somebody in your family that's not walking with the Lord just now? You're hoping for the but later. You pray every week for the but later. Well, here, folks, is two great words, just little words, but later. After realizing he'd made the wrong choice, he changed his mind. Here we have the very essence of conversion and repentance. The repentance and faith that we mentioned earlier on are inseparable. He changed his mind. He changed from his life of disobedience. And he turns and he goes for a life of obedience to his father. We see still in verse 29, he went. <clears throat> Finally, after years of rebellion, he responds positively to the call to follow Christ. He repents, he turns in faith, and he finds, verse 32, he finds the way of righteousness. How does he find the way of righteousness? He finds it the only way is possible for then and even for today. He repents in faith and he is baptized. Peter tells us the only way to turn properly and go back to your father at Pentecost in Acts he says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? How do we turn and go back to our Father? 
Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. So, son number one repents in faith and goes back to his father. In contrast, son number two, whereas son number one was defined by his actions, son number two is defined by his words. And folks, they are empty words. Jesus, as we know, is speaking to the chief priests and elders, verse 23, and remember as well in verse 45, the Pharisees are also in earshot. And Jesus turns round here in verse 32 of our passage, he turns round and he directs his message straight to these guys. He says, you, John came to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. He's referring to the second son, the empty words guys, the religious hypocrites, the ones who call themselves Christians but don't live like it between Monday and Saturday. This is who Jesus is getting at in this parable. Verse 32, he says, John has already come to the second sons. Earlier on in, in Matthew's gospel, John comes with a message to repent and be baptized. It wasn't my, main, my, my deliberate intention to mention baptism so much here in the Baptist church this morning, but that is the way of it. John says that you must repent and be baptized. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Chapter 3, verse 8. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. He's talking to the Jewish leaders here. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John has already warned these guys, but they didn't listen to him. And Jesus now fingers them for not having listened to John, because the religious leaders didn't listen to John when the tax collectors and the, the, the prostitutes, your number one sinners, your son number ones, they listened. Luke tells us in chapter 7 that all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. So they're still rejecting the importance of obedience to their father. They're hypocrites. But they would say they were righteous. They would say they were saved. They would call themselves Christians. These guys are guilty of what I would term as type 2 sins. Not so noticeable. But do you know what? More prevalent in the church than type 1 sins. The church is rife with type 2 sins. These sins are respectable. They are inwards. They're hidden. They're inside. They're easy to harbor easy to get away with, easy to commit against your brother and sister. They are legal in the eyes of the law of the land. Maybe a few sins are popping into your mind. No doubt you, because I struggle with some of these. They're probably unexciting. These are not sex, drugs, and rock and roll. These are pride, greed, envy, snobbery. The list is just as endless 
But these aren't the ones that are ultimately obvious. Do you know what? They're accepted in society. Perhaps they're even required by society to prop up the systems within which we live. And to some extent, they're accepted in the church to our shame. This is son number two. Son number two in verse 30 says, I will go and work in your vineyard, Father. He's outwardly obedient. He says the right things. I will. He professes faith with his lips. His agreement with his heavenly Father is outward. He would claim to be a Christian. But what happens? He did not go. Despite all his pretense, despite all his words, all his grandstanding, all his religious duties, all his outward appearances, he has an inner rejection of his heavenly Father. There is not a genuine response to God's call in his life. He's disobedient on the inside. His profession of faith is contradicted by his actions. Remember, folks, your actions speak louder than your words. His actions undermine his words. That's son number two. Are you son number one? Or are you son number two? Are you an honest sinner? Or are you a dishonest Christian? If you're son number two, there's still hope for you. Verse 31, Jesus said that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you, which means there's still a chance for these guys to enter the kingdom of God. There's a chance for all of us. There's still a chance for them. But sadly, verse 32, even after even after they saw God's grace in salvation to others, God's great work of salvation in people's lives, even after that, what happens? Jesus says, they did not repent. Folks, please don't find yourself in that category. Don't be dishonest and unrepentant. Be honest and repentant. What does John say? If we are confess our sins, He's faithful and just and able to cleanse us from all sin and bring us righteousness. Folks, don't be son number two. Be son number one. What's the final answer to all of this? Having looked at both sons to conclude, well, folks, the answer is obvious. Beginning of verse 31, just as our children this morning knew that son number one was the true son. Even the Pharisees, the leaders, the, the elders, and the chief priests, even they knew that the true son is known not by his words, but by his actions. They were blind to it in themselves, but even they knew. The first, they answered. It was obvious. Is it obvious to you? Is it obvious to us? this morning. Folks, if we claim to be in Christ, we must live in such a way. And this is the challenge for all of us this morning who are in Christ.
Just to close, John says in his letter in chapter 3, verse 10, this is how we know who the children, the true sons and daughters, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother or sister. And Paul says, finally, in Romans 8, he talks about the true sons of God, and here's the challenge for, a challenge for all of us this morning who would want to be true sons and daughters. Paul says that we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you sent your Son to pay the price for our unrighteousness so that we could be true children of God. Lord, help us to be honest in our sinfulness and never to be dishonest in our religious acts. Lord, be with us, and by the help of your Spirit, those of us who profess to be in Christ, help us this week to live as we ought. For those of us that are not yet true sons, Lord, give us the power of your Spirit, the enlightening that brings us to repentance and faith, so that we can come into your family. Lord Jesus, be with us this week. Help us all as your children, we ask. Amen.